there's a new WoW patch coming, which is is now the so far seems to be the most highly regarded patch that I've ever seen. Where people I've never seen the players of this game in 16 years more excited about a patch. Okay, mm-hmm. this patch is literally only removing things from the game. Scotch. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 327 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm sleepy. I'm Sam and I'm the artiste. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is September 2th, 2021. Dunk on everyone. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity in this show. Uh, we'd also like to thank our recurring supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Uh, we regularly, you know, get in there and grab their money, and we like it. It's mm-hmm. great. So thank you very much. Uh, all right, so so we got a lot of, uh, I think the t- term is, we got a lot of spoons in the pot, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, we've got a lot of, a lot of movement on Crash Nights 2. Things are just blasting forward on that, but in ways that either we can't talk about or that if we did talk about them, would make for very bad radio. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of uh, sort of like early concepts and fairly complex designs that we are figuring out and having to talk about them would require explaining them and then talking about them. And that would take an hour sort of right mm-hmm. there and not be that interesting. So we're just going to say it's going great. Mm-hmm. That's it. Uh, It'd be interesting got to some, some other- people, like very interesting yeah. to some people, but yeah, not it'll a- be, it'll be far more interesting once we can show Show stuff, which They're we're not, not really going to do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But like we could talk about it in the podcast once we've shown it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. But we're not doing that for quite some time because we really want to just, you know, like at, when a, a company unveils a new car model and they've got that sort of like sheet over it and then somebody's mm-hmm. like, and they whip it. I don't know. Is, is that a real thing or is that just like in movies? Uh, <laughs> is that real? Like they they got to do that at car shows and stuff where they're like – Here's our because they do those concept cars every year. Most companies will build a concept car. They show off that like fancy whatever future cars things. I feel like there's they got to be explosions. There's got to be drapery, costumes. You know the whole. Works. They got to make a you got to make a deal out of it. So yeah, yeah we're going to be doing that. You know, with Crash Nights Two when we finally show it. Uh, we'll we'll, we'll pull the tarp back or the the, the sheet or the, the blank. I don't know whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then, and then we could talk a lot more about it. But until then, we're just gonna chill. Uh, we've got some other projects as well, which are under NDA. We got a lot of secrets, <laughs> and a lot of things happening that we don't don't or can't talk about. So instead, uh, for this episode and probably for a lot of episodes in the near future, we're just gonna be sort of leaning on our listeners to just tell us what they want to hear via questions. Mm-hmm. Over at uh, podcast.bscotch.net. So please just like get in there and just what, whatever you want to know about, if we can answer it, you know, uh, go ahead and get over there and ask some questions. So let's just get into it. You guys ready? Yeah, ready buddy. Okay. Uh, highest up for the question for today comes from Chalosis, who says, How much time do you put into the first pass of gameplay elements, such as enemies, systems, or UIs? I've created oh. several. Several bad prototype versions of gameplay elements that ended up shipping in the final game. Yeah. How do you avoid shipping half-baked ideas? So I think there's a lot. There's a lot of moving parts on this one. There's a lot. So 
Uh, I think the question comes down to what it is that you are trying to accomplish with that baked the with the baked idea. So, mm-hmm. in the case of um, our design style and our our, our overall game dev style, uh, we like to have something to iterate on, right? Um, yeah. So there's there's the big phase actually up front, which is basically saying we don't even have anything regarding this particular system. We have no enemies yet, for example. Uh, can we just can we stub something in so we can see if sort of the core ideas around the enemy concepts around how they're going to attack whatever else can we just yeah, what's get the, something what's the in MVP there? you need to test those concepts? Yeah, because actually, what you're testing up front is just the idea to see if that, from a design standpoint, um, if it's going to go. And well, I would actually I would actually take that one step sort of further into being more specific, which mm-hmm. is you have a theory about. So at the end of the day, making a game is is manufacturing emotion, right? You are contriving scenarios to make the player feel something, mm-hmm. whether it's like excitement or fear or frustration chill. or just like a, a chill sense of accomplishment, you know, whatever. And uh, the, the first pass of anything is basically what's our minimum set of things we need to see if we can hit that feeling. Yeah. Right, because what I think what a lot of people get hung up on is the technical side of their designs, which is like here we're going to have enemies and they're going to be able to do all these different things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you go in there and you start implementing all these different mechanics to to like get the MVP of those mechanics, right? But the MVP is really the minimum thing that will start to create that emotional response that you're looking for, right? Right? Yeah. Right? So the systems don't matter, the mechanics don't matter, the code doesn't like the art doesn't matter. It's just well, it all does, but only insofar as only it to there. serve that yeah. purpose. Well, and yeah. actually, yeah. that's the important bit. Right? This, this is like the good enough principle, and because it's easy to confuse yeah. the good enough principle in the same way it is for like prototyping and grayboxing and stuff. Which is that the good enough principle is not about uh, it's not about like oh like there's just like a state you can just ship it at that point and like it is and everything else doesn't matter beyond that. And and it's not focused on like just anything is fine or whatever, right? Yeah. It's it's having an agreement about what the purpose is, mm-hmm. and then the moment you've you've hit the level at which that purpose is being achieved sufficiently, then you ship it, right? And it's the same deal with prototyping, which is you say, what is it we're trying to accomplish with this thing? What do we think is going to do that? And then what what bar do we need to hit of of having the thing be you know complete as a draft? Uh, and like, what are the components that are required? for us to know that we can answer that question. Because if you just do a straight gray box where it's just like you put a, or a literal box, which actually Seth sometimes does for some very early prototype things, you know, it's just like literal, (laughs) just a box with a face on it that blinks and jumps, right? Or whatever. And sometimes that is all you need. If you're trying to, depending on what it is you're trying to accomplish. And so you need to be able to adapt to the questions at hand and what you're trying to solve and try to thread that needle of not going all the way to making a production thing too early that has all of the components, mm-hmm. but also not doing so little that when you go experience it and see if it lived up to your intention, that it just couldn't have, not because the design was bad, but because you just didn't, you didn't flesh out the implementation enough to find out. Yeah. And this is something that we, that, that um, Sam and I have learned a lot about it in the course of Crash Ends 2, because actually I think the idea of a first pass is, is actually a bad one. Um, and by that, I mean, uh, we, we did that. Like we did first passes of a lot of the game systems, but what we didn't do was what I would consider like a, 
a full stack implementation of that thing. So uh, to kind of explain that, I would say, for, for example, we had an idea of what we wanted creatures to be in Crash Lands 2. And so Sam literally made like 10 different creature concepts and we did a first pass of, quote, creatures. The problem is we had a lot of ideas about what these creatures could be and we spent a lot of time developing various systems that would kind of support those things to possibly happen. But at the end of the day, all we had was a bunch of flat 2D images of creatures kind of drifting around the world that weren't part of the crafting system. They weren't dropping components. They couldn't, you couldn't fight them. They were, they were just pictures of creatures floating around, right? Mm-hmm. And so we didn't actually do a first pass on creatures. Well, yeah, you did on, on an aspect of creatures, right? Which was not about their functionality, but about mm-hmm. their just, appearance in the world plus some practical questions of like of scale, and and then yeah. and like now seeing them in the world and trying to moving them around just like floating right but then seeing like do they how do they how could these work with the environmental components that we're imagining with the lighting system whatever right and so but you weren't actually addressing how creatures work well we weren't we weren't actually targeting the emotional impact that creatures were supposed to have right. on the yeah. player right yep. so we were we were fixated on like what would it be like to have a diversity of creatures floating around the game? And also like, what are some of the, what are some of the systems that we could create to make creatures possible? So we did all that stuff and it took a long time. And then we didn't have anything still for the player to actually do or engage with the creatures to create experiences. Right. Mm -hmm. So then we were like, okay, fuck. So, so then we, we switched over to this, um, what, what you would consider like a full stack model by full. So the way people talk about full stack is in web development, typically where it's mm-hmm. like, you think about the front end as in what the user sees and then the back end, which is the, the database and the server infrastructure behind it that yeah. the user and doesn't in, see. But and in, you know, yeah. Cause in web tech, basically you just, you're just piling software on top of itself. <laughs> like, like until it's like a, a full stack web developer will know a large number that it still makes up a tiny subset of all the technologies that go into to right. web but their but their stack is still delivering a whole experience right like a yeah. working website that looks good that the user can interact with right yep um, and so if you think about game dev think about each of your features as to, as requiring a full stack implementation for you to to test mm-hmm. the emotional resonance of it so mm-hmm. in the case of the creatures we ended up doing like a whole bunch of visual work and a whole bunch of systems work, but they were sort of, they didn't talk to each other. They were decoupled, mm-hmm. actually. I think they it, were decoupled. It was actually, yeah. it was the sort of thing where we, I think we actually, we sort of blended it in a really weird way where it was actually extremely high level, um, essentially concept flushing on the, on the art side to figure out like, okay, how big can these be? Whatever. But then instead of just, just answering those questions and focusing on those questions, we simultaneously were developing broader systems for like behavioral patterns and stuff like that, that the creatures were going to use. So yeah. it was basically like, it was sort of this, and this basically was the thing we realized uh, a few weeks ago was that we had been, well, both said that I've been working very hard, um, the first uh, three or four months of, of Crashlands dev, um, the reality was that we were typically not working on the same thing. So there was no way to actually have that sort of full stack effect where you're like, okay, at the end of this week, we now have a creature in, right? Like it's in yeah. there and it's doing stuff and we're getting some of that emotional response that we want. Uh, how do we get well, it's there? Not even, it's not even like, uh, it's not even like a creature. It's let's, let's get the first creature in that the player will encounter. Uh, and, and what do we want that experience to be like? So if you come across that creature, uh, what should it feel like to encounter it? What should it feel like to fight it? 
and not worrying about all of the possible like large scale generic other kinds of solutions we could do for sort of like creatures as right. a, as like a concept, but just like this creature. So yeah, so then it was implement that creature top to bottom, all of the art, all the animations, all the abilities, all the sound effects, all of the AI, the movement, how does it interact with the environment, just everything, right? Um, and then suddenly you've actually got a real experience for the player. And then you could start answering questions about about that feature. What else does it need? You know, uh, is it even right for the game? Right, all right. of that stuff. Yeah, and there's a whole bunch of things um, that are all sort of conflicting with each other and trying to find a way to do this that yes. is efficient and effective and all that. And, and I will, I think we would all very easily admit that we do not have it down, you know, but I think you I also just, can't because it changes. Yeah, I don't all think it's time. an efficient process. It's yeah, I think, it, I think it isn't. I think you're right. And then trying to, try to find a way to do it where you still are throwing away as little as you can and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I mean, this even happens in, this happens in any kind of a design process. So uh, as a completely unrelated thing, I've been working on uh, a basically little software package to talk to Favreau for us. We talked about Favreau a few, for a few episodes. It's our, the new, uh, I guess, I don't know, it's not new, but project management, project management service, management. whatever. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is it doesn't talk to that many services and we need it to. So I've been building some tools for that. And I run into those same conflicts there for just a pure, like it's a piece of code talking to another piece of code, kind of a problem, right? Where, because you have the idea of Yagni, which is you aren't going to need it, right? You have yeah, the idea yeah. of dry, which is don't repeat yourself. And so you, yeah. ha you have all these heuristics, right? And all those heuristics exist for good reasons, which is that if you sort of fall back on those, then you're more likely than not going to turn out okay, right? Uh, but just like with writing, where there's all these like rules of writing, right? That as you become really good at it, then you get to start violating those rules because the rules are not there because they're true. They're there because they're convenient for keeping you out of trouble while you're learning, mm -hmm. right? But you're still always struggling with these. And so uh, so when it comes to like me building this tool, uh, there were some aspects of the Favreau service that we didn't need to talk to yet. And so I didn't want to go through all the work of then building all of that stuff out because that's a, that's a Yagni problem, right? Mm -hmm. So it's similar yep. to this problem of like, what does it mean to then build all these creatures, right? Because uh, like, because here it's like, well, if I build one creature equivalent, which is you know talking to one thing uh, from that service, uh, and that's all I do, then I get to answer a whole bunch of questions there, right? And I've also solved the one problem we have, which is that we needed to talk to that thing. But if I also completely ignore the other stuff that I know we I know we are going to need at some point, even though we don't now, then I might end up designing it in such a way that when I come back, I'll be like, oh fuck, right? This is now this is now just a disaster. It's gonna be so hard to work out of. And so, so finding that balance of like going just far enough on the other thing to f understand the design implications, right? And then come back and finish out the one thing that is the example of it, the one thing you need right now, right? Right. Yeah. Um, where the exploration process is all about how do I make sure that I've explored the relevant questions because creating one example of a thing is really good for answering a huge number of the core questions, but it doesn't come anywhere close to answering all of them. And so, so this is that push and pull. Cause then if you do a really tight, really good implementation for that one creature or that one function, whatever, uh, then you've sort of baked those two things together. And then when you go to make the next one, either it has to be identical or making a difference is a challenge. Or you right? copy paste a bunch of yeah, stuff exactly. yeah, or you, or, or you take those ideas and somehow like rework them to make yeah. them. And usually, yeah, exactly. That's it. And actually, usually you find yourself, right. You find yourself yeah. reworking the whole thing, which isn't necessarily 
bad. And in fact, I think for those of us with ADHD, it turns out to be kind of the way to do it, I think, you know, is, mm-hmm. is, uh, make it in a way that feels like it makes sense, explore just enough. And then just know that when we come back, we'll do some, uh, some redoing. You know? Yeah. I, th- I think really the, the core piece for me is knowing what it is you're trying to do. Yeah. Uh, while like in the, on the high level in a vision sense, while you are executing on the task level and like, it's an easy thing to say it is not an easy thing to do, but I think it's to, to Adam's point about, sort of having to do reworks. The problem with reworks is not the fact that you have to do them or refactors or else. It's that uh, at certain points you will think you are done. Basically that something will feel like it's locked because you're like, cool, I've got mm-hmm. this whole creature done. Like I'm done with, like I know how to do creatures now. But in actuality, because of the way, the, because of the vision you have for the project, you may very well be only like 10% into how creatures quote unquote work. And so I think it's actually a mindset problem, which is as long as yeah. if you can, if you haven't done the work to to think about really like where this is supposed to go, really where you want it to go, then you can get in these situations where there's there's a, a tendency to sort of like uh, almost like let the concrete dry sort of a thing where it's like just it's too early and mm-hmm. and you're sort of you're calcifying uh, the idea or calcifying the design just because you completed the tasks associated with it, but not because yeah. you completed the vision or the point associated with it. And I think being able to differentiate between those two is like a really, it's a very huge challenge that we've been in particular, been really focused on uh, with development crashes too, is being keeping that flexibility as we finish, quote unquote, uh, sort of versions of each one of these features. That there it's curious to well, everything, right? Because this is also true for for biz dev, right? Which is yeah. uh, very like so. So we, we can't talk about details, but we've we've already started trying to talk to partners and see what it would look like to line up uh, launch agreements, deals. so that you know all these like launch launch day deals and stuff, and. But it's very early compared to when we're going to launch this thing. And that, that shapes the possibilities of what those could look like. And if we, if we end up like settling on something specific this early, then that will kind of – that will then now def- become a constraint in effect. It will sort of now define the shape of the whole thing that's to come because we'll have calcified something very, very early. So this, this is like literally any aspect of anything kind of follows the same pattern. Yeah. Do as little – know your goal – and then do as little as possible to test uh, whether that's even the right goal and to get as much knowledge as you can about whether you're moving in the right direction to hit that goal, right? Mm-hmm. And then you just adjust and adjust and adjust. I think, And I think one final interesting note about this is um, – and it's something that, that you know, I think we've always kind of known, but it's become more and more kind of obvious in the past couple of months we've been working on crash too, is that when you're planning – uh, like a roadmap of how you're going to make a game. You think of features as a, as a, an isolated sort of like bucket of concepts, right? Like creatures, combat, crafting, the map, or whatever. You're thinking about them from a from a pro like a basically a programming sense, or like a domain sense of work, right? Not as a domain uh, of experience. That's sort of the problem, right? Right. And that's the and the problem is you can't think of the experience until you're able to experience it. So. When you're designing the game, you think about the systems and the content and the mechanics, uh, but the point of the game is to deliver an experience, right? And so when we were first starting out, we spent so much time trying to think about things in those systems buckets um, that it kind of made it – it just made it very hard to progress forward in development because – uh, we weren't able to test theories about experiences because there weren't really any experiences. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
But then pretty soon, uh, once we, for example, got uh, got crafting in there, then we had a, a theory that we could test, right? Which is like, for example, does it feel good to explore the world and harvest stuff to craft, right? And immediately we discovered that we needed a map because not being able to see where you have gone and where you're going or whatever um, makes it so that uh, harvesting stuff is kind of uh, it, it feels aimless and feels like you're lost, right? And so you so as a as a developer, if you're planning ahead, you think of like here's the map as one feature and here's crafting as another feature, mm-hmm. right? Experientially, really, they're linked, right? Yeah, but they're only linked in some dimensions, right? So like the existence of a map is linked to crafting, right? But there but the there's a bunch of features that that you could have on the map like fog of war, panning and zooming, showing a recent trail, showing like the location of NPCs or filtering whatever, maybe even like well in the original game we had these like warp pads and stuff that you could use on the map, right? And like do you need all of those things for the map? to deliver a good crafting experience? No, right? There's only certain pieces of the map that you need for that, but you don't know that until you get the crafting made and play it. Well, and they all still and, right? impact the experience, <laughs> so, and you, but you just don't know to what extent. And and, right. and and the fact is you can't, like you can't do a holistic design. It's not how right. brains work, right? And you, so you have to pare down to the smallest number of connections you think you can get away with that really are informing and pushing the design, like the really strong connections between things. Um, and then kind of see, you know, kind of see what happens. Cause things like fog of yeah. war on a map, uh, means that you can't, you don't yet know what resources are out there. Right. And so there's a connection right. between resources and I mean, there's a strong connection between resources and the map. Um, and as soon as you yeah. put fog of war in, then fog of war is actually sort of, uh, it's, it's weakening the direct connection by creating a new one that now like the two of them together add back up or whatever, right. Yeah. Where, where now you have to go, it changes the angle of gameplay. So now there's a, this new exploration component that wasn't there, which changes where you go, how much time you spend when you're out searching for things. Um, and so, and that comes back to then impacts on crafting, uh, which are hard yeah. to, hard to puzzle out what that's going to be like. Yeah. So, so our, our rhythm that we've actually gotten into now for crash two is essentially uh, every week, we don't actually know each week what mechanically we're going to be doing or what systems we're going to be working on. Instead, what we do is we play the game and then talk about how we felt. Like, what what was it that was exciting? What was it that sucked? What are we looking forward to? What feels like it was missing or hard to engage with? You know, just like really explore the emotional boundaries of the experience uh, and then talk about how that relates to the large scale vision of the game mm-hmm. and what the probable next steps are this week in terms of systems development, content development to either like shore up some emotional uh, problems in the game where like, it's just not delivering something or to push forward on something that's really fun and interesting and see if we can tape that up, you know, even further. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know the the idea of a, of like a mechanical roadmap in that sense. I think is just so it's just so hard to like reconcile with the fact that what you're making is just such a unpredictable and interlocking emotional experience. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, anyways, I, you know, I hope that answers the question. <laughs> uh, and as as far as how do we avoid shipping half baked ideas, we don't. I mean, all of our ideas are half baked. I don't mm-hmm. think we've ever baked an idea. Have we ever nope. baked one? Nope. No. 
Yeah. We felt yeah, uh, we felt pretty good about a bunch of ideas, but never never that they were complete or in like the final state we had imagined. Here's the thing. It's just like how, you know, we complain in the past, but how when you when we ship a feature, the immediate response from the player base, uh, in the case of like during level hit or axis, was the fifteen <laughs> next things that we could do. Which we also are all we're we're doing that too the whole time, right? Yeah. And so this is the thing, like every idea is half baked in the sense that the reality is like you can take and this is why I mean small applications that don't seem like they could possibly be worked on for an extended period of time, people still are able to work on them because like you can take any existing thing and continue working on it. It's just sort of a fact. And so the the important thing about having a vision and knowing why you're doing the thing is so that you can fucking stop and ship the damn thing. Like that's that's the reality of it. If you don't know when to stop, like that's actually the that's the major problem I think when it comes to a lot of this a lot of this work is knowing when to be like okay enough's enough. It's baked enough. When is it good enough? Well, this go. is where this is where it's easy to fall into a trap, which I I feel like we we did a bit at the beginning, which was the idea of like putting together a, a vision for what the game is in terms of like, here are all the systems that we want to have in the game and here's how they're going to work with each other, mm-hmm. right? Um, and those those early ideas become a checklist, right? Which is like, okay, we need to get this system in, then this system in, then this system in. And it's very possible that at some point you have already hit whatever the emotional target was for right. that system, but it doesn't feel like you're done because – you haven't gone through all of the checklist items for mm-hmm. for ma- for like making this system right and and once you kind of reframe things as basically saying like in huge bold words like here's the emotional target we're trying to hit right and then underneath the smaller text then is like here's an example of what a system might look like to hit that target mm-hmm. like here's what a buff system or debuff system or combat system crafting whatever um, but don't get married to that exact idea or it'll just turn yeah. into a checklist. Get married uh, to the emotional appeal, but not the yeah. details. The yeah. reality is systems so, are details. Mechanics are details. I think this is something that took a, me personally a very long time to understand was that like the idea that, that in a weird way, the mechanics don't matter. Like Cause they could be all. anything. Yeah. They could be anything as long yeah. as they deliver, like what matters is that emotional appeal and what, why it is that, that someone would enjoy playing this thing. They don't enjoy playing it because of how tight the controls are that they might say that it's because of something else entirely, which is whatever the emotional appeal is of the thing that they're trying to get out of it. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's the reason why, you know, plenty of games that in the past I've been very confused about how successful they were for very specific mechanical reasons. Like, uh, I think this controls are janky as hell. Um, or like, oh, this, this UI like, is very awkward. This UI is terrible. <laughs> this building experience is like kind of medium at best. Um, but it's like a bestseller of some sort. And the reality is because it doesn't fucking matter because it's from an emotional appeal standpoint, they're nailing it. And yeah, sometimes mechanical things do get in the way, but like the reality is. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's really. less that it doesn't matter and more that if you focus on the right thing, which is not the mechanics, if you focus on that stuff, since that's what people actually want and need, then yes. you can get away with frustrating people a little bit because of the rest of it, right? Because um, it is, I mean, it is the case that like a, that a, a bad experience with like I've I've stopped playing games that I otherwise liked because the controls sucked so much, right? Or or because <laughs> yeah. or because Simple. like they didn't have a save system that made sense, and so I would like leave the game to do something, and come back, and like just literally my progress is gone, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and or even like the the most recent one that I can remember because it just like stood out so strongly was was in Control that really oh that long hallway 
like dope game. Yeah. Where there's a boss fight at the end of like a, you have to, you have to basically run for two minutes and do some like minor combat with some enemies to get back to the boss fight. Right. And after I did that, maybe like, I don't know, five times or something, I was just like, I don't want to do this again. And, but that was my only path forward. Right. And so I, I haven't played since. So, so yeah, so it's one of those things where like, you need to, you need to deliver on the emotional appeal. Cause that's the, cause that's like, for me, it was like, I was going to go crush this boss. And it was like this scary thing. And like, I was feeling like I was a powerful, like that was, so it was delivering on that, but they, the way that they then deliver that experience through the mechanics made it so that it could, cause, cause like I was willing to put up with that for a while, you know, mm-hmm. and that's the point. Right. Um, but then it still kicked me out and all they would have had to do was just like have a save point. Just close. this actually happened for me with Hollow Knight. Yeah, but Hollow Knight for like twelve hours. I got so far into it. It was again. It was like a thing where it was just like the next thing I had to do was so far away, and it was so hard to get to that again. After I did it a few times, I was like, I guess I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah, the thing <laughs> is, like, I, I don't disagree with, with those points, but I think there's an interesting out there, which is that both Control and Hollow Knight, uh, a lot of the games we would talk about in this context, um, even Terraria, which like again we talk about the podcast quite a bit. Uh, for Adam and I, it's a game both of us like a lot. Um, these are all games that that they still have plenty of jank in them. And my point is that like controlled when you're talking about one, like all of the awards also like sold a bajillion copies, um, hollow Knight, kind of the same deal. Um, Terraria has probably one of the jankiest control, jankiest combat situations, most tedious crafting or most tedious, like building most, most sort of opaque crafting of a game. And so you have to, at some point ask yourself, I'd actually like, give all those to Minecraft, but I, but I do hear what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, so yeah, again, but it actually, to, to your point, Minecraft, a perfect example, right? Um, all of these have, they have uh, actually a lot of frustration baked in because of some, what you might consider uh, uh, poor sort of UX design choices when it comes to the mechanic side of things. But again, I don't or just know low investment in those things or, you know, yeah, or low investment. Um, and there's, there's going to be some rough edges. And I think that this is maybe, maybe the point I'm trying to get at, which is like, no matter how well of a job you try to do, if you're crafting an experience, it's, that's a video game. It's hard as fuck to ship a video game in the first place. So like, if you manage to get it out the door, eat, like, especially these bigger teams, frankly, cause they're always just like burning stuff, burning money and throwing everything away. But like, yeah, more is to, less when it comes to teams. <laughs> yeah, so like if you manage to get it out the door, uh, the reality is that you have not had enough time, really, to massage every bit, you know, every level design, everything else. And so I think the stronger position to be in is one where you can more solidly rely on the delivery and conveyance of that emotional appeal such that people are willing to like essentially deal with the nonsense because it's – because, you know, at the end of the day, there's going to be nonsense in there because you can't be perfect. But if you can nail the resonance piece of it, then maybe like Adam, maybe you quit on that control level. Maybe someone else tried it like the sixth or seventh time and then got through, right? Because the overall thing was so interesting. Um, and same thing with Terraria or Minecraft or whatever else. The, yeah, that's, that's, that's my part. Because I mean? we're not saying different things, right? It's the question of yeah. what does it mean to matter, right? Because like that – like so because that design whole for, for me, right, mattered a lot. It made me quit the game and I was very frustrated because I wanted to play the rest of the game, right? Uh, for many, many other people, it didn't. And that was also like kind of mid game too, which means that most people who play the game didn't even get there, which might be because they got frustrated earlier than I did. Right. <laughs> probably, probably many of them did, but also cause it's just a big time commitment. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so you're delivering, well, I, think but, a- but I think if you think about them, because the mechanics are delivering on the experience that you're trying to deliver. Yeah. Right. And they can also take away from that experience you're trying to deliver. Yes. And so you're not trying to deliver it perfectly. And you're also not trying to have like nothing, literally nothing that prevents mm-hmm. like the, the 
idealized version of the experience you're imagining, right? Well, you're trying well, there's to there's a contract. Is, there's a contract between you. Yeah, and you're trying to deliver it right? well enough in a way that like it feels like you've lived up to what the game has been so far, what the game looked like it was right. going to be, that kind of stuff, right? And because uh, and, and you'll see there's a lot of thinking like some of like maybe like the the very cute indie titles that people really like uh, often have fairly non-fun uh, movement and you know it's like control mm-hmm. mechanics, right? Because that's not what they're delivering. They're not delivering that at all. And like and the comments that I like I, like I always he- I always hear them when I go look at people talking about those things is like oh yeah like this was really like really satisfying and fun and felt really good and they'll always say the combat was really sucked and I kind of wish they just didn't even have it or whatever right because like because that stuff kind of took away from the rest but it didn't take away so much because enough of the investment and focus went into the other mm-hmm. stuff right and I think to me a more uh, or I guess another way to think about this is. Because people are trying to, sh- they're trying to ship a lot of mechanics. They're trying to ship a lot of things, right? The more things you're shipping, the more things you have on the one hand to deliver what you're trying to deliver, yes. but also the things that can fuck that, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so if you if you're trying to do too many things, you're not able to invest sufficiently in any one of them. You're probably better off trying to figure out how to not have that thing, right? Yeah. Um, or have it stripped down and simplified so that. Because if you have something that you would have to invest in to make it a good experience, but you're not going to invest in it either because you can't or because that's not yeah, the main thing you're trying to deliver. Do not put it in there. Don't put, the, put it in there. Or at least if you do, mm-hmm. make it as simple as possible. Well, there's another kind of uh, kind of caveat to all this, which is like you can, do a, you can do a lot depending on how you develop your tools, right? So you've got – if you've got some idea that's like a really huge idea – thinking about like, oh yeah, we've got this crazy boss fight, right? And it's going to be wild, right? As a developer, while you're working on that boss fight, you're probably going to set up some developer tools for yourself where you are just at the boss and you fight the boss to test it, Mm -hmm. right? And then you tweak some stuff and then you fight it again, right? So as the developer, you get really, really good at at fighting that boss and (laughs) understanding it, right? Uh, And you don't actually do a playthrough from the previous checkpoint from the perspective of somebody who doesn't know how this boss works. Yep. Right. So you end up And you in fact never could, right? It has to be somebody else. Right. So so there there's a there's a catch to all of this, which is like you as a developer, for starters, like play your own game. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but play it without the developer tools. Because otherwise, you are not actually testing the yeah, and not always, experience. Right? Yeah, like, while you're like in the middle of development and tweaking stuff, whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. use those tools. Because yeah. if you don't, you'll never deliver yeah. anything. But you, right. you, yeah, you have to do playthroughs. You have to understand the emotional experience the player is having, and you also have to understand what is impossible for you to understand. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. got to know, mm-hmm. you got to know the what edges. you know, and you got to know what you don't know, so mm-hmm. that you can bring in people who can fill those gaps. Whether it's uh, first time. Play testers and just and this, this is something that actually um, we did a lot with uh, uh, the original Crashlands was in the early days because we had never made a crafting game, never made an open world game or whatever. And we we're like we don't know how any of this stuff works, and we would just bring in a person about once a month for the first I think by eight months of development. Actually, I think it was once we hit about five months into dev, we had enough because you, you don't want to do it where there's like nothing to do. Obviously, yeah. Once we had yeah. once, once, once we had, we had enough seemed like initial yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we so we'd bring someone in, and we would just and we just hand them the game and say nothing other than just like we're not going to say anything. Just <laughs> we told them we told them how this was good, so it wasn't like creepy, and like we just silently stood there. Um, but we 
we had them come over. They they played the game, and uh, we just watched what they did and took notes. And sometimes they would kind of like narrate and, and talk about you know what they were trying to do or what they were seeing or whatever. Feeling. But but largely we just we just looked at what they were doing, um, and it changed everything. Because at that time, we we also didn't really – we didn't know what we didn't know and we had a lot of ideas about what was good and what was bad and we were just kind of wrong about all of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we needed to fill those knowledge gaps by just bringing in a, a totally fresh uh, fresh person to, to see what was going on there. So – yeah. uh, well, yeah. And, it's, and but, it goes all kinds of ways too, right? Because even stuff that you don't think is a big deal could be the stuff that – that actually like matters to people, yes. right? And it's especially hard to keep track of because what really matters to people is the feeling of the thing when they like experience it and watch it or whatever, which isn't, it's not a feature, right? And so, so some of those things like, so like Levelhead, I think we've, which we talked about in the past, uh, the, the idea of being able to kind of paint something onto the screen and it just adapts to look nice, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, like that was literally every uh, platform partner we talked to when we were showing them the game, like that was the moment where they were like, oh, this is very cool, right? And yeah. <laughs> uh, and we were like, but this isn't even playing the game, right? And it's not even meaningfully building a level because like we were thinking of in terms of like, oh, the level is a bunch of mechanics stuck together that'll do stuff, right? A bunch of features. Yeah. And I remember yeah. being like infinitely frustrated, honestly, at that point because, you know, I was like, we just, we built this this incredible editing tool that lets you, yeah. lets you do this. And like, social network. You, it's the whole thing. And then, yeah, people are like, oh, cool. Like it, it, it the Look at tiles thing. adapt. And I remember being like, really mad. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, can't you see? But it's like, that's the problem is like, you're missing, you got to take off your engineer hat, basically, which is like, it's just not about the features. It doesn't matter. It's not. It doesn't fucking well, matter. Actually, I mean, yeah. it's the same reason why, like, you, you can get the same experience emotionally by completing a marathon, you know, as you can by killing a raid boss in an MMO for the first time, right? Like yeah, those depending are depending on who you are and et cetera. Yeah. Right. right. But like it's but like those are sort of mechanically or physically or whatever, very much yeah, not, not the, the same. same thing. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. But in fact, they're probably opposites, right? Like uh, when you're just sitting in a chair for a real long time, only using your brain and your hands, uh, and the other is you're just out there, out in the wilderness, like just run, 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 run for months, right? But uh, but at the end of the day, there is an emotional feeling of sort of overwhelming accomplishment of a long-term goal that you maybe didn't think that you could do, right? Um, and so the mechanics don't matter. The systems don't matter of how you got there. You just have to understand where you're trying to go, you know, mm-hmm. and recognize that that is the point uh, and not get hung up yeah. on. Invest there and then make sure you're yeah. not doing a bunch of other stuff that you then underinvest in. Just try to not do those things. Uh, and if you do have other things that aren't the main point, um, then make sure that they have – they hit that minimal threshold of – causing being a nuisance, right? And I th- another good example of this, which is completely outside of a game, I think, I think it's always nice to bring these ideas into a more general space too, right? Uh, yeah. Is with ClickUp, which we, uh, <laughs> I don't know if we talked about here or not. Uh, did, we, did we talk we're about it? I'm pretty sure we dunked on ClickUp after. We probably must have. Um, we yeah. did, yeah. But ClickUp is, uh, is, a, is actually a great example of this of this problem where they were on a, in a just a dead sprint for their, like for years basically of packing in features, Right, so Go burning through the checklist of things yeah. that oh this look we connect to this we connect to, to that we it can do yeah. it can do this hundred and, and like and their whole thing was like oh we're like the one tool to rule them all right is was the idea, uh, but they didn't specialize 
in any one thing. They just sort of did a million things, right? So then kind of all of it, just all of it was a janky experience. So the main thing that they were selling was, oh, we have all of it. So you can go to one place, right? Um, and and we put up with a lot of jank in that fucking system, right? Because of that yeah. fact. Because like that was the thing they were supposedly delivering was was that, right? But the reality was, what did we need? You know, we didn't need literally everything in there. We needed a handful of things, right? And, and we so, needed them to work. And the most important thing was that they needed to work. <laughs> and they could have a little jank and we could still put up with it. Because like it was slow. Like, like the system was slow when we first started using it. We were like – Okay, well, it's a little worrisome, but it, but it does. Otherwise, it does what we need, right? And like, and better than the last thing that we had. Mm-hmm. And it was just that over and over again. And it wasn't until they had spent so much time doing other stuff and underinvesting so intensely into testing and like delivery, and then into the systems that we actually needed, which is mostly about you know moving tasks around, which is really is the point. Um, yep. yep. Then yep. at some point, then just how underinvested they were in this huge array of features, which again is their whole selling point. Cause like, so I'm still in their newsletter and it's like every month or two weeks or whatever it is. It's like, Ooh, here's all the new features we have still. Right. And it just, it just like, they just keep pushing stuff out mm-hmm. yep. and then all of it is, and then all of it is janky. Right. I still remember like, like this hilarious moment where after we had been using ClickUp for a while, we had a conversation about the, their notifications Feature, yes. Yes. Right. Because we all realized that like none of us had really been able to reliably res- like get notifications about messages that were being sent between teammates. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we we're like, well, what's going on there? And uh, we all went to our notifications and checked it out. And the problem was that that we were getting notified about all kinds of stuff that we did not want to see that didn't mm-hmm. matter. That was just noise. And you go to the notifications preferences page to, and they have they have just like a million different check check boxes that yep. you can turn off notifications. But these ones but are checked on, and you are not allowed to check them off. Yeah, there are some yeah. that you're you're not allowed to turn off, and those are the ones that happen constantly. It's so like any given task may generate ten to twenty of this kind of notification on a given day. And so you'd open your notifications, like, hey, you got like three hundred eighty notifications since <laughs> yesterday, right? And so what we found was that, was that the only way for us to get get out of this was was they had this this thing, idea of like watching a card, which means that you're just getting notifications about that card, just right? everything. Just and anytime you touch a card, just at all, you are now watching it. Okay, yep. so just like by by kind of like existing in the space, you're just going to be getting notifications. So we set up this dumb automation that. Anytime anything happened on a car, <laughs> on a card, it would unassign every person from the watch list. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So, so that meant that finally we could actually use the notifications, but we lost something else, which was now every single card, anytime something would happen, would get like six or seven uh, entries added to its history mm-hmm. of All people being – of people unwatching. Well, being added and then un- – yeah. Then yeah. Un- so, yeah. So like in order to make notifications useful, we had to make the history useless, right? Yeah. <laughs> and we like we couldn't have both because they just wouldn't let us uncheck that that box, right? And it was, yeah, it was the most frustrating thing is the box was there, right? It was there. It was With there. a check mark in it. And they were just and like, check- we are going to paternalistic attack this yeah. and just say – we think you're going to get into trouble if we let you uncheck this. So we're just <laughs> yeah, not you, you, they're, they're like, if you don't see these notifications, it's going to be real bad for yeah. you. So you can't turn these off. I, right? Again, I think like all, 
all the VC money in the world, all the engineering talent in the world won't save you if you miss the point. Like the point of using ClickUp is not to have all the features that like could ever possibly exist. The point is that we reliably need a way to organize and manage our work. If you fail at that, at the baseline point, it just doesn't matter how many additional features you have. Yep. It just yeah. doesn't matter. Well, well, and, and more features doesn't, like adding 10 new features doesn't let us uncheck that box. Mm-hmm. We just want to uncheck the box, right? It's not, <laughs> yeah, it's not speaking to the, again, speaking to the core What's the experience? Yeah. Well, if we take all this back to, to Favreau, right? Or Favreau, whatever, mm-hmm. which is what we're now using. Like Favreau doesn't really integrate with anything, basically, right? It's like it's just doing its own thing. It does, it does, it has a different model, which is very useful to us. So that's like a very interesting way of doing it. Uh, but it also has a whole bunch of kind of, you know, broken or slightly broken ways of behaving that are either like actually not working correctly or more likely aren't what we need exactly. Right. And, uh, and so there's, so there's still a constant frustration with any tool, including the one that we moved to. We moved to one that had like infinite features to one that had really just like one thing that it does. Right. And, but the fact that it does it, it does that one thing super reliably. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a way of thinking that we can use to manage our work in a really nice way. That's easy to keep track Mm -hmm. of and, and then easy to collaborate with in particular. So the end result of that is that we're, again, putting up with lots of frustration of things that don't do quite what we want. Um, but the what it is delivering on, though, that core thing, is sufficient and sufficiently good compared to everything else with all their millions of bells and whistles, right? That this is actually yeah. still the better choice for us to solve this problem that we're trying to solve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny that it's like whether it's games or productivity software or whatever uh, – at the end of the day, it's very easy to just fall into that uh, systems checklist trap, right? It's like you're talking about, Adam, with your, your Favre SDK, basically saying like, you could technically come up with a giant list of all the different endpoints of the Favre API and whatever and make an SDK that does all of them, mm-hmm. right? But who cares? Yep. Because there's, there's stuff that we need to happen. There's, there's experiences that we need to create for ourselves, um, and all that matters is that we get there, right? Yeah. Well, so and then what I did is I implemented months. most of it because I needed to, to understand like how it all worked when the data models were and stuff, right? But then, and then to get all like the groundwork of like how do things work, how do I make requests, blah, blah, all that stuff. But then once I got to the thing that mattered the most, which was cards, cards and the data on them, that's the stuff that matters the most. And like changing the data, seeing what's on there, making a card, deleting a card, whatever that kind of stuff, right? Then that's where all the heavy, heavy investment went is like, there's like a million things that that stuff can do, right? Because we need to be able to do a ton of stuff with cards, but the, but their system can do a whole bunch of other stuff too. Like it can make and delete boards. We can do, we can do all kinds of things, but we don't care about that because that's mm-hmm. not the kind of thing we need to be able to automate. Um, so yeah, you got to figure out where to and invest I, in the right place. And I think as, as a, as a final example of this, of this in action, uh, as probably the thing to cap off the, this episode is, is uh, there's a new WoW patch coming, which is is now the so far seems to be the most highly regarded patch that I've ever seen. Where people I've never seen the players of this game in 16 years more excited about a patch. Okay, mm-hmm. this patch is literally only removing things from the game. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's not add. It's I think it's adding like a couple of hair colors in terms of new stuff, like for just something minor. minor but things. otherwise, otherwise, all it is is they're just like, hey, this thing that like you had to do, you don't have to do it anymore. Hey, this thing that like was blocking you from doing something over here, it's not going to block you anymore, right? Like all they're doing is flipping Cut. off. They're just cutting things and flipping off switches that were frustrating people, and they're doing it across the board, like with just everything, right? So it's like. It's like ClickUp adding features when all we want to do is hit this checkbox that we yeah. can't check. Yeah, right? remove the block on the thing that's already there, right? Yeah, um, because, it, because it turns out that, you know, if you keep adding features on top, um, but the core of it is too hard to engage with, then people can't get to those features. Right? More <laughs> is not better. There. Better is better, right? So yeah, stop yeah. Just, more. just do better things. And less is, <laughs> less is usually better too, right? Like better is better and less is usually better. More is... On occasion, better. Yep, you know. Yeah, but only if you started with less and better, and then put more on top of it, yeah. and then probably took some of it away again later. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very straightforward. Yep. <laughs> just just <laughs> so hard about this. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Uh, so I guess you'll know, we'll probably do uh, do another question next mm -hmm. week. Uh huh. Uh, that's good. So uh, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.